The American Thoracic Society. We help the world breathe. Hello, I'm Dr. Dean Schroffnagel, Senior Deputy Editor of the Annals of the American Thoracic Society. For the podcast today, I'm speaking with Dr. Courtney Broadus and Dr. Michael Grippy. Dr. Broadus is the John F. Murray Distinguished Professor of Medicine at the University of California, San Francisco, and Chief of the Division of Pulmonary and Critical Care Medicine at San Francisco General Hospital. Dr. Grippy is an Associate Professor in the Division of Pulmonary Allergy and Critical Care and Vice Chair of the Department of Medicine at the University of Pennsylvania. Dr. Broadus is the Editor-in-Chief of Murray and Adele's textbook on respiratory medicine, 6th edition, and Dr. Grippy is the Editor-in-Chief of Fishman's Pulmonary Diseases and Disorders, 5th edition. Both textbooks have been updated and the texts have recently been reviewed in the Annals uh, of the American Thoracic Society. Our two guests today wrote an editorial on the role of medical subspecialty textbooks in the 21st century. I'd like to explore that topic a little bit more with them. Dr. Grippy, what is the role of medical textbooks in the 21st century? Well, I think in the broadest sense, in contemporary times, uh, medical textbooks serve two fundamental roles. First, uh, just as they have for many decades, they underpin the education of um, students and trainees and subspecialists in the particular discipline. But I think additionally, they serve as authoritative sources of information, both both clinical and scientific in nature. In essence, uh, textbooks frame the clinical and scientific background on subjects related to the particular discipline. And they serve as a vehicle for authors to consolidate information and, and generate a, a critical s- synthesis that's useful for uh, clinicians. So in an ideal sense, uh, a textbook, if well done, really should serve as a platform for uh, additional scientific and clinical inquiry. And Dr. Broadus, if you have uh, further comments, or, or either of you, I'll ask one a question, and if you have comments on it, just please... Uh, Tell me what you think also. Do you have any additional thoughts? Yes, thank you, Dean. Uh, I would add to Mike's comments that textbooks such as ours present the scientific foundation and thus link clinical practice to its scientific framework. And I was uh, pleasantly surprised that these scientific chapters are among the most valuable to our pulmonary fellows. They have said to me uh, that these presentations of science relevant to their discipline is not easily covered and not found anywhere else. Textbooks are comprehensive. Certainly, we want to cover all the important topics and avoid major gaps in subject matter. But at the same time, at least with the hardcover textbooks, they must fit in one to two volumes so that the hard editorial decisions have to be made about what to include. And textbooks are authoritative. They're an authoritative resource. And both Mike and I believe that in this era of explosions of information, that this authoritative role is even more important than ever. And as such, the textbook is a trusted home, a home base, from which one gains knowledge that you need in your subspecialty and to which you can return again and again when new questions arise. 
Yeah, Dr. Broadus, maybe you could expand on that a little bit. You know, we have many learning methods nowadays. Could you tell us a little bit of how you perceive the advantages and disadvantages of several of them are, for example, textbooks, PubMed searches for original or review article, subscription references, or just Google searches that we sometimes do? Yes, the access to multiple sources of information online nowadays is truly remarkable, unending really. Uh, The good news is that this information is readily available, conveniently located on the internet. Bad news is that much of the information has not been critically evaluated. Some may be totally unsubstantiated. Information can also be fragmented. There may be major gaps. Thus, although the information is, is there, it can be difficult for readers to sift the good from the bad and to know what is missing. So the textbook synthesizes information, and by doing so, prioritizes information for the reader. And we're not trying to say that textbooks are the only source, but we think that they are the best first choice. Dr. Grippy? Yeah, I would uh, endorse everything that uh, Courtney just said, and perhaps I'd also add that having experts uh, doing the synthesis and the filtering and the processing of the information um, is invaluable. So if you think about it, a a textbook really does, in fact, provide a perspective uh, on a particular subject, and presumably an expert perspective and one that uh, the reader can trust. And Dr. Grippy, how do you keep your textbooks up to date? Well, I think this has been a moving target in recent years with the um, advent of downloadable and uh, web-based formats for the book. So obviously, it's uh, much easier to update an electronic version than it is for a printed version. But I would add that even currently for printed versions, updating at least components like digitized videos and audios can actually be done even throughout the lifespan of the printed textbook. For example, with uh, the the current edition of the printed version of Fishman, we incorporated QR codes that are attached to all of the videos so that, in fact, someone sitting down with a hard copy of the book using an app on a smartphone can read the QR code and be taken directly uh, to the video or audio, and those can be rehashed over the course of the lifespan of the printed version. For the online version, uh, what we plan on doing is is clustering the chapters into several groups, each of them uh, being updated annually at a different point in, in the annual cycle. And we hope that elements that require updating will be identified by either the author or the editor who has expertise in that particular area, and then ultimately made on an online version uh, approved ultimately by the chapter author. Uh, Additionally, I would add that since major rewrites of the printed version will likely take place on about a five-year basis, Uh, major rewrites to the printed version and consequently the electronic version will also occur at about that frequency. Dr. Pradas, do you have any further comments? Absolutely. I I think this is a key question and clearly a new charge for textbooks in the current era. Nowadays, keeping textbooks up to date has become a major task of editors Uh, It used to be that when a textbook was published, everybody went home for two years until work began on the next edition. 
but now textbooks are being updated online with the aim to have a living document. Online textbooks are meeting this challenge in different ways. The way we are approaching this at Maria Nadell's is that editors alert me or I come across a, an important new study or article. I write the brief update for the chapter and review it with the author and the editor before we add it to the ebook, the electronic version of the textbook. Now, uh, this will be an ongoing process. If a substantial change is needed, the plan is to rewrite that section of the chapter. But this hasn't yet been necessary in the few months since the book's publication. But in this way, we are aiming, and I know Mike is aiming with Fishman's, to have a uh, living document, a, a continually evolving and updating version of our textbooks. You know, you may have covered this, but how does a chapter in your textbook differ from a journal review? Might people go to a, a review article in a journal instead of your chapter? Maybe could you explain or discuss that a little bit? Yes, thank you, Dean. In thinking about this, clearly a chapter and a review article appear similar. But there are some key differences, we think. Uh, review articles are written at different levels of difficulty. They're one-time products. They have different assumptions, let's say, about readers' background. However, in a textbook, a chapter has been edited and written to have a consistent level of difficulty. And in our textbooks, they are geared towards the level of the subspecialist trainee. And a review article typically stands alone whereas a chapter fits into a whole. The chapter is linked by cross-references to other relevant sections in the book. And finally, the review article is not updated. And as we have just discussed, uh, chapters nowadays do not have to go out of date. Dr. Grippy? Yeah, I think uh, Courtney summarized the distinctions uh, very well. And I would just add that although the differences between a state-of-the-art review and a textbook chapter may even become less evident as we go through the digital age. The one remaining distinction, uh, perhaps, is, is the company that the textbook chapter keeps. That is, as a chapter in a body of work, the reader is able to utilize cross-references and look up additional information that might not be as readily available as is the case for uh, state-of-the-art review. Yes, if you are reading a chapter and you find a, a difficult area or something you don't know, you can go to another chapter in the same book where you wouldn't be able to do that in a review. Dr. Grippy, tell me what goes into developing a subspecialty text. Yeah, as I'm sure Courtney will attest to, uh, it's, a, it's a very long and detailed process, and at least based on our experience with Fishman, it started uh, several years ago with fundamentally an assessment of the need for the work by both the publisher and the prospective editors. Once there's a positive assessment that, yes, there's, uh, there's a real need for the textbook, then the work really begins with identification of editors, ideally uh, editors who are recognized as experts in a broad array of fields that can collectively serve as uh, overseers of the process. Next, potential contributing authors are identified, and, and these ideally are individuals who are not only experts in their particular fields, but who have demonstrated a capacity to write effectively 
and to work collaboratively since so many chapters now have multiple authors, including junior authors who really need senior people to uh, advise them and to uh, oversee their, their writing. Next is the organization of what the content will be in the form of a table of contents with some estimation of how much volume will be allowed uh, or allotted to each chapter. This is a little bit, uh, I think, less of a problem in the electronic age than it was in uh, the pure hard copy age since, at least for electronic versions of textbooks, limitations in terms of page numbers and numbers of illustrations is substantially uh, less than uh, it had been in the past. And I think once the overall content is decided upon, then a series of uh, regular discussions with uh, all editors participating, outlining uh, timetables and establishing deadlines for uh, authors and for production in related individuals in terms of videos and illustrations uh, has to be decided upon. And uh, I think uh, also a, perhaps a reflection of contemporary times is the fact that uh, there really now is uh, the need for somebody with some expertise to oversee the video portion of textbooks. And so, for example, for Fishman, uh, for the first time, we actually added a video editor uh, to oversee that aspect of production. Dr. Paradis? So I would just add that the process is now an ongoing one, uh, developing a subspecialty textbook, which continues even as the current edition is completed. At Marie Nadell's, editors meet for one day prior to each ATS meeting, and during the busiest year of preparation of the book, talk at least monthly by conference call, and have regular emails. Uh, these meetings are important for deciding which chapters to add, merge, or delete, which authors to invite, page length, cover art, so forth. We also invited an imaging editor to join the textbook, recognizing the importance of images to clinical pulmonary medicine. And this editor reviewed every thoracic image in the book and added figures and videos to the text and many more to the ebook version. And then in the process of writing the chapters and editing them, there are many cycles in which the chapters go to the editor and then to the editor-in-chief, a return to the author with revisions, and finally the proof is reviewed. During this time, suggestions may be made to the author for additional material or figures or references that might be useful to add. Sections of chapters have been rewritten to make them more readable and clear. I've just closed by saying overall, it is a huge effort uh, at the last ATS in Denver, at the time the book came out, everybody involved celebrated with a with a dinner and then began the next day on the next edition. So uh, other problems that I see, uh, for example, there are many authors that go into this, and each of the authors have different styles. I'd like to ask you, actually both of you, uh, how do you deal with these different styles? And then... As far as some of the content goes, do you allow speculation or do you stick with the guidelines? What do you do with an author that may push uh, his or her research over standard of care? Some of those sort of problems that I'm sure you would run into. Maybe, Dr. Broadus, you could start and comment on some of these questions. Thank you. Uh, I think, Dean, that your question is a very important one. It hits at the um, key aspects of what makes a textbook we thought a lot about aiming for a consistency of style and particularly decided to spend a lot of time up front 
planning, the organization, and presentation. And these guidelines uh, were spelled out for the authors at the very beginning in the instructions to authors. Then in the next phase, while the chapters were being written, we kept in touch with the authors by sending regular emails, offering advice about certain issues that are generally troublesome for authors. For example, emails were sent with tips about how to prepare figures and videos, about how to write the key points that are at the end of every chapter, and the multiple choice questions that accompany the chapters. Then during the editing of the chapters, new items came up for consideration and decisions had to be made. For example, we decided to adopt the NCBI guidelines for gene and protein nomenclature throughout, which involved changing many of the chapters to meet that standard nomenclature. And interestingly, we decided to use the eponym club cell instead of Claricel, as recommended by many societies, including the ATS. Then in the final proof review, the editor-in-chief goes over the entire book for a final check. But hopefully, after all the preparatory work, there's not much to do at that point. So by these steps at many levels, which I've just described for Marie Nadell's, uh, textbooks aim for the author's individual voices to come through, but to link the book together by a common style. Dr. Grippy? No, I think uh, Courtney describes it very well, and I think this is uh, where the oversight of editors and the editor-in-chief are of critical importance to ensure that there's some consistency of both style and content as one uh, goes through the, the textbook. And obviously, every author has his or her individual writing style, and to a certain extent, every editor may have his or her own editing style. But I think at the end of the day, it's the editors as a group and the editor-in-chief in particular that uh, really need to ensure some uh, stylistic uh, consistency throughout the textbook. And it's so interesting to note that even on a, on a very uh, micro level, if you will, the inconsistency in use of, of terms is uh, one area that can easily escape uh, oversight. And uh, Courtney gave uh, one example related to uh, nomenclature for uh, gene and protein terminology. Another example that uh, I was struck with in going over uh, the Fishman uh, PDFs was the substitution or the need for substituting the term granulomatosis with polyangiitis for what historically had been referred to as Wegener's granulomatosis for many, many years. So I think the editing process is key to ensuring a, a consistent product throughout. Well, thank you. That will do it for this podcast for the Annals of the American Thoracic Society for August 2015. Thank you, Drs. Broadus and Grippy, and thank you for listening. This is Dr. Dean Schroffnagel, Senior Deputy Editor of the Annals of the American Thoracic Society.